two, three, set to go. First week, uh, we uh, studied the background uh, from which uh, Mark wrote uh, this gospel. And then uh, before Jesus came uh, in uh, public ministry, uh, what happened to Jesus? Uh, we studied uh, uh, baptism and temptation. And before that, uh, John the Baptist comes out, and before that, two prophets prophesied. And then, on the right side, we talked about the ministry of Jesus, and ministry of Jesus uh, can be basically uh, categorized into three. And what were those three? Teaching, exorcism, and healing. Those three uh, boxes. And then uh, at the bottom, uh, people responded uh, with great enthusiasm. Uh, many people started following. But Jesus didn't seem to really uh, think big of those, that crowd. Jesus' ministry was not for the multitude. Jesus was not interested in the crowd. Uh, so many people came, but it wasn't important to Jesus. So the first thing that Jesus did in public ministry was what? Calling the disciples. First he calls four disciples, and then later he uh, calls eight other disciples. All together, 12 disciples Jesus calls. And now I understand, you know, uh, Jesus basically devoted his life to 12 disciples. Everything he did was to show these 12 disciples about uh, what he came to do and who he was. He was not interested in the crowd. He knew that crowd will be there when Jesus is popular and the crowd will go away when Jesus is not popular. And that's what the crowd did. And ultimately, who's go, who was going to uh, carry on the ministry of Jesus Christ? Not the crowd, but the 12 disciples. They carry, carried on the ministry. And then so uh, Jesus basically devoted whole uh, self to uh, disciple these uh, 12 uh, disciples. Uh, and then that's basically uh, what uh, Jesus did so that they could carry on. And then, you know, it is hard to know Jesus. It is hard to understand Jesus. Uh, for disciples, I mean, today you will see, disciples, they were with Jesus day and night, spent night together, daytime together, ate together, always together for three years. They saw everything Jesus did. They, saw every, they heard every teaching Jesus uh, uh, taught. They saw all the conflicts, all the controversies. They saw everything about Jesus. And yet, at the end, nobody understood. 
who Jesus was. <laughs> and then you realize how difficult it is to understand Jesus. And then once a week you come to church and then think that I know and I understand Jesus. That's kind of, uh, I mean, these disciples are not fools. Uh, they have been with Jesus for three years, but still they didn't understand. So then we, we have to ask ourselves, maybe there is something about Jesus that I don't know yet. Maybe the Jesus that I know is very small fraction of who he really is. I mean, I've been uh, to church all my life, but still, compared to the disciples who were with Jesus for three years, day and night, it's nothing compared to that. And they directly saw Jesus and heard Jesus, and yet they didn't understand who Jesus was. Then how much will we understand Jesus? Uh, then? And I mean, that natural question that we ask, uh, ask ourselves. So Jesus that I know, <clears throat> may not be the whole picture of Jesus. There's maybe big, bigger picture of Jesus is still hidden, maybe. And then we are yet to uh, find and discover. So last week we talked about the dynamics of faith, uh, the anatomy of faith, how faith functions, how faith grows, and then uh, what kind of soil will take uh, faith? And then we looked at the general dynamics and, and anatomy of faith. Uh, for us, like Jesus is just Jesus. But Mark could see the inside of Jesus, inner picture of Jesus. It's like x-ray. For us, we look at a person, but Mark could see Jesus through X, uh, the eyes of X-ray, internal uh, thing of Jesus, and maybe for us it's like this: you look at uh, the watermelon and say, "Wow, that looks great!" You know, "Wow, this is what watermelon is," but you never tasted it. And then you say, tell other people, I know what a watermelon is. And you describe to other people about watermelon, but you never tasted it. That kind of Jesus that we know. Oh, I know about Jesus, but we never tasted uh, Jesus in a true way. And Mark, he actually tasted Jesus, and the new world was opened up for him. And he struggled and struggled and struggled. And after many, uh, much struggle, he wrote this gospel. He invented this uh, literary style and he wrote this gospel for us to see the internal world of Jesus. Not just watermelon outside, but he broke it and then gave it to us, taste it. That's what watermelon is. Watermelon is not for you to just see it. Watermelon is for you to see it. Then you know what watermelon is. Until you taste it, you don't know what watermelon is. You just know what watermelon looks like. It's like understanding Jesus is like that. Different layers. How much do we really 
understand Jesus and we have a lot of our own assumptions, our own judgment about who Jesus is. And with that assumption, we continue. But that is just your assumption. Uh, so what we are studying is, what did Mark discover? What did Mark discover? And that's uh, what we are studying. And then I'm very, very thankful that Mark left us with this precious document. And I said last week, what if he said, okay, I can, I mean, I experience, I experience Jesus. I can uh, live my life with this joy of salvation and knowing about Christ. He could just have lived his life happily. But fortunately, he took the toil of writing this down so that us, we can read it and we can understand and we can get to know Jesus. If Martin do it, how could Matthew do it? How could John do it? How could Luke do it? Mark was the first one who started this. And then we get this precious, precious document uh, with us. And that's what we are examining uh, together. Today's story is basically, I mean, one thing bad about respecting uh, the Bible, I talked about bibliotry last week, right? That we don't take it seriously, we don't examine it, we, we don't study it. Uh, you really have to see the struggle of Mark. You know, uh, the, I don't know whether I told you or not, the chapter uh, division uh, wasn't there in the beginning. When Mark wrote this gospel, uh, Mark didn't say, that, okay, chapter one, and then uh, he wrote it, and then chapter two. No, Mark didn't write it that way. Mark just wrote a story from the beginning to the end. There's no chapter, no verse. Chapter came into existence thousand years later, you know, after this book was written. And then verses were 100 years after that chapter. So about 1,100 years later, uh, uh, chapter division and Mark div uh, the verse division uh, was created. It's, uh, later Christians uh, put the chapters and uh, verses. So it is really hard to uh, uh, see that which one belongs where, which one belongs together. So uh, luckily, chapter is there, so generally we know uh, what belongs together, but that chapter division is a little bit, uh, sometimes it's hard to follow uh, Mark. So that's why we are creating kind of new kind of chapters. Uh, with uh, so starts from uh, chapter six verse seven, uh, not from chapter six verse one. It starts from chapter six verse seven to chapter eight verse twenty-one. That I think this uh, uh, belongs together, and uh, so you have to understand the flow of the consciousness of Mark. Uh, what, how is Mark thinking, moving along? So you have to understand the, con the flow of the consciousness of Mark. So when, 
when I studied, uh, I, I remember uh, sitting, uh, standing in my room. I walked around, and so when you come, uh, it's not there anymore because I renovated my room. Uh, you have uh, this uh, big uh, kind of a board, whiteboard. I walked around and wrote down, walked around, wrote down. Why does it belong together? How does it, be? I mean, read it and read it. No, it doesn't belong together. Where is the division? Where is this uh, uh, consciousness uh, changed? Uh, Mark's consciousness changed. Where is it changed? Read it and read it and read it. Still, the structure doesn't come. And then several times, oh, there is a, uh, this uh, uh, cohesiveness right here in this section. And then I put together. So first, that's why I wrote down uh, boxes and uh, arrows and all kinds of things uh, that I uh, wrote down uh, there. So what you get is not just uh, somewhere there. It's just a struggle. Uh, and then also I read a lot of commentaries too and how they divide uh, the, the, and then some of them make more sense than others so, the, so this structure is very important for you uh, to uh, have to understand Mark today's story is basically why people cannot believe that's today's story. Lack of faith. That's what Mark is trying to portray. You will see three different, uh, different groups of people. One, uh, disciples. The other, Pharisees and scribes. And third, the crowd. And so these three uh, groups of people that you see. And then uh, Mark basically shows how little they understand Jesus. How uh, little faith uh, they have. So that's what we are going to study. So let us read the first page first. <coughs> Can somebody uh, begin? Uh, the, uh, those verses belong together, right? Uh, but all of a sudden, verse 14 goes into another story. Totally different story. It's a herald and then, uh, John the Baptist. Okay, so let us move on. Let us read it. All right, thank you. So when you read the right box, it is totally different story. It is not about disciples being sent out. It is about Herod killing John the Baptist. And interestingly, when you read uh, 6.30 all of a sudden it goes back to the 12, disciple, 12 disciples so can we read it please so kind of uh, the death of John the Baptist is sandwiched uh, between these two and then you have to ask yourself what is the flow of consciousness of Mark see when you think you can think many different ways. One way of thinking is very logical thinking. One, two, three, four. That's logical thinking. But Jesus' thinking is not logical thinking. Jesus' thinking is a flow of consciousness. So it, it's, it doesn't sound like it's logical in the modern mind. But underneath 
there is a bigger truth than logic. There's a flow of consciousness that uh, sometimes a lot of sermons are so analytical, so left brain um, uh, uh, kind of uh, function, so very logical. But some creative uh, sermons, when you re, uh, listen, it is right brain. It is more flow of consciousness that you hear. You don't just uh, answer logically, but there is an answer in that uh, message. I mean, Mark's writing is like that. So, I mean, if he were logical, he would have finished left uh, part first. And then he talks about, uh, he should talk about the death of John the Baptist. Baptist. But somehow, in, in the middle of it, he inserted uh, the death of John the Baptist, sandwiched. So, then, what, were, what was Mark thinking here? What is the message that he's trying to communicate? So, discuss together. <laughs> <laughs> Can somebody give me more tea? Yeah. Yeah, I can. It's hard for me to. <laughs> ah, here are some of the uh, ideas that you came up with. It comes back to that scene. Then what does that do? This scene explains what this scene so this scene continues, but in, mid, in the middle of it, go, goes to another uh, situation and shows it. Why? Because it's connected what is going on here. And then comes back to the next scene and shows uh, in some way. So you can uh, look at it. So that was very helpful uh, imagery. Okay. <clears throat> you can push it. It's on already? Okay. Uh, Disciples were uh, put into action. Uh, it was a very, very successful mission. And they were very excited. Probably first time they experienced this wonderful power of God directly. Total empowerment they experienced. Until then, they just lived their lives. But that particular moment, they experienced it Tremendous empowerment of God. So when you look at uh, chapter 6, verse 20, 12 to 13, it's, uh, I mean, it's a small group, so it's a clearer, so I, uh, I want to use a, a TV. So they went out and proclaimed that all should repent. They cast out many demons. Probably they never did it before. But they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. Until this time, they never experienced this, but they had this tremendous power. When I uh, took uh, our people to uh, Kazakhstan, uh, every day in the morning, we prayed and we sent them out. You go out and preach the gospel and you evangelize. Even Nicole and Shine and all these girls also went out, right? Preaching the gospel. So we always, and Joshua, and then they all went out and they came back. Oh, 
I got 10 people who received Christ, right? They came, up with, came back with such excitement, right? I mean, they preached the gospel. Somehow they received Christ uh, through their uh, evangelism, right? So they never experienced in their lives here in North America. And they went there and they experienced it. Probably disciples about a thousand times uh, more than that. That they went out and cast out demons and then uh, cure them, heal them. They never knew that they could do it. They never uh, knew that they had that kind of power. And then uh, when you uh, read a uh, 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 verse, uh, it's very interesting. Uh, what is that? Uh, they all recognize, right? I don't. I can't find it. The people when they came, they all recognized. Huh? Thirty-three. Yeah. Now many saw them going and recognized them. They became very popular now, right? So they walked around. Oh, those guys were the ones who cast out demons and cured them. So they became very, very popular. All of a sudden, they became a celebrity. And then they came and shared with Jesus the wonderful experience they had when they went out. Verse uh, 30, when you look at uh, verse 30. Do I have it? Yeah. The apostles gathered around Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. You know, probably Mark did not really describe the emotion and excitement. And they would just come on the way. They would just talk to each other. John, did you see that? And then James, wow, amazing. And they came to Jesus. Jesus, these are the things that happened when we went out. And they were saying everything that they experienced. They, the Mark, but, but Mark, what Mark wants to say is that Christian ministry is not all about this kind of excitement. The discipleship is not just about experiencing the power of God in our lives. The story of John the Baptist is very much the story of the disciples. They all were killed, like John the Baptist. The story of John the Baptist was a foreshadow of Jesus and disciples. Ultimately, Jesus and the disciples all experienced what John experienced. In that sense, we Christians can be weak, and vulnerable. Like John, by a request of a little girl, his life could have been taken away. What kind of flimsy, vulnerable life is that? Like your life is at the hand of a little girl who danced and asked for his head. I mean, that vulnerable, that Weak. That was life of great prophet John the Baptist. You know? It's not like his statue is there, oh, John the Baptist. But little girl can just kill this great man. That was like the fate of John the Baptist. 
The disciples experienced the invincible power of God, but they were not invincible. We are weak and vulnerable, and we shouldn't expect to be invincible. The way of the discipleship is to take the cross. The way of the cross is the way of being vulnerable. The real spiritual power is not our invincible power, but the power that works behind our vulnerability. That power is a real spiritual power. Our calling is not to have the invincible power to conquer. Our calling is to be faithful to God even in the most devastating situation so that ultimately God's power may manifest itself. So as Keith said, what Mark is trying to say is, right now we are so vulnerable, weak, and broken, and yet behind our vulnerability, there is the power of God working among us. That was the power of resurrection behind the cross. Where is this power of resurrection hidden behind? Cross. Not anywhere else. Only behind the cross, this power of resurrection is hidden. And Jesus was faithful all the way to the cross. He was obedient even unto death. So let us look at St. Paul's Confession. He said, Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, like invincible, powerful, existent identity, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, like made himself vulnerable, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness and being found in human form. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Up to verse 8. That's what Jesus did. Verse 9 is not what Jesus did. Up to verse 8, Jesus did. He put himself on the cross. But behind that cross, there's a power of resurrection. Verse 9 is what God did. This is what Jesus did. This is what God did. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the Father. That's what God did. And we do believe 
in the power of resurrection. And also we do believe at the same time the power of resurrection is hidden behind the cross, not anywhere else. That's why Jesus said, if you want to follow me to the disciples, you have to take up the cross because only there, there is power of resurrection, not anywhere else. So in the first page, Mark wants to show the true meaning of discipleship. This kind of power will be given, but also at the same time, the reality is we have to take up the cross. Now that's how the first page is uh, examined. Let us look at second page. <clears throat> Just a man, but that means uh, there are more, uh, 5,000. There are women and children, right? So when you read this, you can read this in an isolated uh, story. Uh, case. Oh, Jesus fed 5,000. Is that the message? But probably this existed on its own as a fragment, as I told you. When uh, Bible was first, uh, before Bible was written, Jesus teaching, Jesus miracle, and Jesus, uh, you know, uh, exorcism all exist by themselves in fragments here and there. And then Mark, who brought them together. This one could, you could just read it on its own, but Mark is using it for his own message. So he connects that. Uh, how do you know? When you look at the right side, it's a totally different story, but at the end, what does, what does it say? Verse 52. For they did not understand about the loaves. So he's connecting it. Right? He's connecting this story, the, the totally different story, with the previous story, which is feeding 5,000. So Mark is not just writing, okay, this is what Jesus did. Mark is trying to get across the message uh, by connecting that. Right? So let us read uh, the second uh, box. So there is a specific message that Mark wants to get across. So, feeding 5,000, why do you think Mark put it in there? After this initial first page. I mean, the disciples came back with great excitement and amazement, and in between there's this John the Baptist story, and then, so they came back, and then he has feeding 5,000 story here. I think Jesus is challenging the disciples further. They just experienced the wonderful power of God, now they face an impossible situation where they had to feed 5,000 people. Jesus taught them a great compassion. There were 5,000 men and it was getting late. 
And the disciples were concerned about the people. I think that's great. So they told Jesus this. Oh, it's not, sorry. Send them away so that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy something for themselves to eat. So they, they were concerned about the people who are hungry. So that's good. I think that's a reasonable solution to the problem. Let them go and buy, eat uh, dinner and come back. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus took their faith further. Jesus was not interested in making reasonable disciples. Jesus said to them, you give them something to eat. To the disciples, you give them something to eat. Jesus wanted to stretch disciples' faith. You just experienced the power of God, right? Now you give them something to eat. They experienced the wonderful power that was not in them. Now, they don't have bread, and Jesus was asking them to give them something to eat. And I realized that when God tells us to do something, the request is beyond the resources that we have. That's a message. We are not limited to what we have. But the disciples did not yet think beyond what they had. They said, are we to go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to, them to eat? They were very reasonable, but they didn't go beyond their reasonableness. This story shows the limit of what the disciples could believe. We are so used to being reasonable and say being reasonable is right. And we cannot even imagine what is beyond the reason, reasonableness. But we are called to believe beyond what we can control. If that is not there, there's no faith. There's no Bible. When you read the Bible, it's not just about reasonable stories. Our hope is not for what we can see and control and maintain. But our hope is for what we cannot see. Listen to St. Paul. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen, which is a reasonable thing that you see, is not hope for who hopes for what is seen. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. What we do not see is beyond our imagination, beyond our reasonable uh, boundary. 
if we are simply a reasonable person, we can never believe. We can never be disciples. Yes, we can never go away from reason. But to have faith, we have to go beyond our reason. I mean, when Mark wrote his gospel, with his reason, he could never imagine that this book will spread so much and so many generations, and 2,000 years later, people will study his book. Within his reasonable thinking, he could not even imagine that. And 2,000 years later, we are studying it. That is not something that Mark could imagine. Mark could see. And hope is for what we cannot see. So, I mean, uh, Jesus says, Small, smallest mustard seed became the biggest shrub. And growth, we don't know. You spread the seed, and the next time you come and see it's growing. It grew. In your life, Jesus wanted you to see beyond what you can control, conquer, and maintain. I think that's the reality of life. We should always do that. As I shared with you last Sunday about my daughter Grace, I could never imagine that I would come out of that hospital with a healthy baby in my arm. But that was what happened. Beyond what we can reasonably accept. Jesus showed the disciples this with a clear example, this truth by feeding 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish, and there were 12 baskets left over. And the next scene is open water. He showed them the power of God, and then Jesus now encounters them in the open water. They were up against the impossible wind, they had difficult time to control the boat. It was then Jesus walked on the water and came to them. Mark said, he intended, do I, did I put it? No, sorry. He intended to pass them by. And you may wonder, why did Jesus intend to pass by? You know, wasn't he coming to uh, the disciples? He was trying to pass by to catch, uh, for them to catch him or what? You know, so, I mean, that is kind of a language that we are not familiar with. But that's very divine language that Mark is uh, portraying right, uh, right now. When you read uh, 1 Kings 19.11, he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Uh, this is Elijah. Elijah was uh, uh, wanting to uh, find God and all that, 
and then God took him to Mount Horeb, uh, and then uh, first earthquake, and then the rocks were uh, broken and all that, uh, and then uh, he said, go out and stand on the mountain. I'm going to pass by. And he said, gentle whispering voice that God came to. So this pass by is a divine language. And then Mark had a difficult time to say that God, Jesus is God, as I told you in the uh, beginning. Uh, he, because he grew up in a very, very strong monotheistic uh, tradition. He could never say that this man is God. But he wanted to portray that as much as possible uh, in the capacity he could. So he said Jesus was pass, trying to, int Jesus intended to pass by. So almost like a divine language here that is implored, uh, importing. Uh, but they thought it was ghost, and they cried out. It's not because mistakenly they thought it was a ghost, but Mark is saying they were totally entrapped by fear. It's not really by mistake they thought it was a ghost. It was not because it's dark, but they were completely controlled by their fear. And how does Mark see this situation? Verse 52. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. In this way, Mark is connecting this story with the story of feeding 5,000. Shows the lack of faith in the disciples. They saw this miracle happening. I mean, they saw right in the beginning, they went out and experienced the power of God, and they saw Jesus feeding 5,000. And they uh, went, went out to the sea. Still they could not believe. Still they did, uh, they did not uh, go beyond what they can control and conquer. Still their faith is within their own power. Not in the power of God. Ask yourself, is your faith within your own power that is controllable? Or in the power of God that is beyond your power. What is your faith? And in the name of reasonableness, you're hiding your lack of faith. And that's what Mark is challenging today. Mark is saying that Jesus wanted to teach them faith but they could not really see because their hearts were hardened. So this is how second page is uh, studied, but l let us at least read uh, the third part. People, uh, I'm going to talk about the last box a little later, about little snips uh, of uh, the crowd uh, Mark is putting in here and there, the response of the people. Let us leave third page. Let us go to fourth page because there is another feeding story. Because it is connected, so we'll read another feeding story first and then go back to third page. Can you read that, please? 4,000 people. Less challenging than 5,000 
you know, before it was uh, 5,000 men, but this time uh, Mark says 4,000 people, only 4,000 people, not uh, just men, but 4,000 people. There was again great crowd without anything to eat. This time, Jesus took the initiative. He said to them, he didn't tell them to feed these people. He just laid out the problems. If I send them away hungry to their, to their homes, they will faint on the way. What do you think? <laughs> Jesus is asking them, what do you think? Now, if I, you know, I have compassion for them. If I just uh, send them away, then they will, uh, you know, die on the, uh, on the way. What do you think? Disappointingly, even though they experienced the miracle of feeding 5,000, they seem to have no recollection of that incident. They don't seem to have any recollection of what they just experienced. They said, how can one feed these people with bread here in the desert? They didn't have faith. <laughs> they didn't understand what Jesus did. Their hearts were hardened. Their hearts were like rocky soil. We studied last week. What was the rocky soil like? You forgot them all? How long? <laughs> What's a rocky soil like? Yeah. Immediately they received the word and then they are pleased and glad. Uh, with joy they received it, but because they, there's no root, it just uh, it disappears. It's like rocky soil. They don't have, they didn't have deep roots. Let us go back to the third page now. Those, not rocky soil, but path. You know, do you remember path that we studied? Uh, that is, it's like you're not supposed to spread seed on the path. It doesn't even go down. It just uh, gets taken away. Uh, so hardened that you won't even sink in. The word will not even sink in. So let us read Hardened Hearts. What do you think Mark is trying to say here on the left box? That's why it is difficult to read the Bible. <laughs> what is basically saying? What Mark is saying is ridiculous. That's what he's saying. Nothing else. Ridiculous. Why ridiculous? Because Jesus did all the miracles, all the great teachings, and everything, but these guys were nitpicky on washing hands. Isn't it ridiculous? You know, that's what Mark is, hum with humor, he put that in. This is ridiculous. You know, it's like, 38 years, a man was uh, uh, on the, uh, 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 beside the pool. He could not even walk 38 years. You know, that long time. And then Jesus came and he healed him. 
And then he walked, uh, with the mat he walked, and then they were saying, why do you walk on Sabbath? <laughs> that doesn't make sense. It's a ridiculous. That's what Mark is saying. It's a ridiculous. What they are doing is so ridiculous. 38 years he was sick. I mean, washing hands, of course it's important. You should wash your hands, you know? You should. You know, especially after washroom, you should wash your hands. Important. But in the context of the immensity of what Jesus did, washing hand is the only thing that you could see in that context. That's what Jesus is saying. So what he's saying is it doesn't matter what Jesus did. They will not believe Jesus nor accept Jesus. In the beginning of my ministry, I try to please people. Oh, if I do this, they will like this. Oh, if I do that, they will like this. And after many years, people who believe, they will believe. People who won't believe, they won't believe. Doesn't matter what I say, you know? Doesn't matter how powerfully I preach, doesn't matter, you know? They were all filled with themselves that they have no room for God. So Jesus quoted Isaiah, these people honors me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching human precepts as doctrines, you abandon the commandment of God and hold to human tradition. That's, that's the Pharisees and scribes. I, we talked about disciples. Now we talked about Pharisees and scribes. And finally, how about the crowd? Crowd, they, are not in, they were not interested in God or Jesus. They were simply interested in their own needs. They're like a sheep without a shepherd. They have become so self-absorbed people who are obsessed with their needs being met. They follow Jesus like crazy, but they didn't really follow Jesus. They followed their own needs being met. The disciples who were supposed to follow Jesus were not open in their vision and they could not really see what Jesus was doing. The Pharisees were in their own self-made world that they rejected Jesus no matter what. And this crowd, they are not interested in what Jesus is trying to do. They are just interested in themselves. The many people come to church for their own self-interest. They, don't, they are not interested in Jesus. They are not interested in Jesus' agenda. And the sad and unfortunate thing is, we, a lot of ministers, we gear to them. For those who are not interested in Jesus, who are interested in their own needs, we provide their needs constantly to make the church bigger so that they can come back. 
Where is the church of disciples? Where is the church of the discipleship? Bonhoeffer very eloquently talked about the cost of discipleship. And the church has, in the name of growth, the church has more interest in the crowd than the disciples. But there is a ray of hope Mark includes in this section of stories of unbelief. That is Syrophoenician woman. Let us read that. Box 2, please. She was a Gentile, and she had a, a little daughter who had an unclean spirit. Jesus, she asked Jesus to cast out demons, and Jesus said a very strange thing, uncharacteristic of the compassionate Jesus. He said, let the children be fed first, for it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. What he's basically saying is, you're a dog. And I have to give this food to the child, who is Israelites. But what is amazing here is not just what Jesus said, but her response. She was a strong woman. Whether it was insulting or not was not important to this woman, as long as her daughter is healed. And then she believed in the power of Jesus. She didn't back off. She said, Sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And Jesus saw the faith of the woman. And then isn't it interesting, the next story, miracle stories are what? Ears being opened. Jesus always says, let those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Like this woman was able to hear what she was supposed to hear. But altogether, Jesus really sighed. That's the last box, which is Jesus sighed at, oh, I don't know why at Jesus is there. I knew there was a mistake, and then just Jesus sighed. At Jesus. <laughs> he was sighed. He sighed at himself. No, I saw it, but I don't know why I didn't, I didn't correct it. Yeah. Can somebody read that, please? And she just at the end, all came out, you know, one by one, in the 5,000, 4,000. He was so kind of putting it within himself and he just letting it out, right? You still now understand? And I, Come on, guys. How long, right? So. I mean, uh, Mark wants to uh, communicate that to us. So uh, today's section is uh, basically about our unbelief and how slow uh, we understand. Uh, so so that's a summary. And then next week is a climax, actually, of Mark. So make sure that you don't miss uh, next week. Uh, that's a climax uh, of Mark. So we're going to study, and then there, there comes Peter's confession and all that. All right? So let us pray. The passion and desire and great vision of Mark, communicating 
his experience that we can now see how frustrating it must have been for Jesus and for God. Constantly, we human beings, we say we believe, and yet every time, same situation comes, we don't believe. Even though we experience the same thing, and the same thing happens again, and we don't believe. Oh Lord, help us to trust you, believe you, and completely immersed in your teaching. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.